Welcome to the Farming Without the Bank podcast, the show with a no BS approach to money. Hosted by a farm strategy expert and authorized IBC practitioner. Join us as we get real and expose the flaws of traditional financial institutions in order to help farmers take control of their finances, create peace of mind, grow their wealth, and leave a legacy. Now, here's your host, Mary Jo Ehrman. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for joining in or coming back. I have a ton of avid listeners out there. So I am so thankful for all of you and appreciate the fact that every Friday you're super excited to hear from me. I do ask one thing. If you could please help me out, help your neighbor out, help somebody across the country you might know, please share this podcast with people you feel might like it. Or even if you're sharing it on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, whatever, Instagram, um, there's, you know, a million platforms today. But if you're sharing that, I would very much appreciate that. Just because there's so many people that are looking for answers all the time, right now, especially. And this might be the answer that they're looking for. It's so funny when I hear people or see people emails that say, this is exactly what I've been looking for and I've been looking for it for years or I've been searching for different answers and this is finally the answer. People are looking for it. They just don't know what it's called. They, life insurance is the last place that they're going to look. Nobody's going to say, oh, I'm going to Google infinite banking concept and see what comes up. That's probably not what's going to happen. So please share. I would appreciate that. All right. Today, we are talking about creating your own banking system through dividend paying whole life. Two episodes ago, we talked about creating a bank like the one that you know. And so this chapter is a little bit longer. This podcast is going to get a little bit longer. I will try to keep it short, but I am not using my regular recording software. And so I do not have a timer. I suppose I could look at the clock, but then I have to do the math. (laughs) Anywho, okay. So I'm going to try to keep this to about a half an hour. But really in this chapter, which is about five pages long, and you wouldn't think that that is a very long chapter, but it is for Nelson because there's so many good things in there. Now, if you guys have not gotten the Becoming Your Own Banker book yet by R. Nelson Nash, I don't know what in God's green earth you're waiting for. If you've not gotten my book yet, I don't really know what you're waiting for. However, if you go to farmingwithoutthebank.com, you can get my book and Nelson's book as a bundle. If you just purchased my book and you have not gotten Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, please do so immediately because this is so good. And we, again, have been doing kind of an IBC little study between us and about four or five other agents. And it is just digging deep into this. And there's so many good things for you as listeners, because obviously Nelson wrote this book for you. He did not write this book for me as an agent. In fact, I'm sure he's happy or he was happy that agents got a hold of it. But ultimately his goal was to teach the general public how they can free themselves from the banking system his goal was not 
just to teach a bunch of agents how they can sell life insurance. And believe me, that is what most agents think is this is great because I can go sell life insurance and make some commission. And that is why it is so important. And when I talk to people, are you truly here to see me to learn the infinite banking concept? Or are you here, are you searching and getting quotes and looking for other agents because you just want to buy life insurance? If you just want to buy life insurance, I'm sorry, but I think you missed the point of the book and you might want to go back and reread it. Doesn't matter if it's mine or if it's Nelson's, but you might want to reread it because it's not about just buying a policy. But in this chapter, Nelson talks about creating your own bank through dividend paying whole life. And when we think about the banking system, we think about the bank on the street and and then every branch office that they have. And those are the things that we're thinking about. When in fact, if you look at Webster's third new international dictionary, um, that is what Nelson quotes in his book. It says, banking is associated with any form of general dealing and money or credit any form of general dealing in money or credit. So it doesn't matter if we're borrowing money to each other, that is a form of banking. It is a, it's more of a process than a actual building. And we're going to go in and sign paperwork and talk to people and deposit checks and those sort of things. Yes, that's banking as well. But general dealing in money or credit is also banking. And so can we utilize dividend paying whole life as part of the banking system? Absolutely we can. And when we look at, when we go a little bit further in, he says, you finance everything that you buy. You either pay interest to someone else or you give up interest you could have earned otherwise. It is amazing how people give lip service to this fact, but do not put it into practice for their own financial dealings. So a lot of times he is talking about your financial advisors, just your the financial industry as a whole, is that even though we are paying cash for things, we are still financing them. And so many people are like, oh yeah, I've been farming without the bank for 15 years. We've been farming with cash. That's not farming without, that's farming without a banking institution, but you are still banking. You are giving up interest you could have earned otherwise. You've paid cash for a tractor. You've paid cash for seed, feed, fertilizer, land, a house, a car, whatever, sent the kids to college. You have paid cash for those things. You've given up the interest you could have otherwise earned. There is an economic value added. It's called EVA, a value assigned to our money. Our money is worth something, just like our time is worth something. And Nelson says, once you know what's happening with your money, you will know what to do about it. Once we know that there is a value to our money and we understand the banking system of borrowing and paying back, we know exactly what to do with it. We know exactly how to solve the problem, right? Once we know what the problem is and why our cows aren't gaining weight, we know what to do to solve that problem. Once we figure it out, it's the same thing with money. Our money is not valued. We aren't putting a value on it. We're just saying, hey, we've got cash, we're going to use it. What's the value of using that cash? Did we pay it back? Even if we don't use a life insurance policy, did you pay that cash back to yourself into your savings account plus interest? 
If you didn't, you did not put a value on your dollar. Yet you went to the bank, borrowed it at four or 5% interest, and there's a value on their dollar. Why is their dollar valued any differently than your dollar? Not, my friends. It's the same dollar because there's only one big pool of money in the world. It's the same dollar. We have to value our dollar and we need to pay it back plus interest. So as we're creating last, not the last podcast, podcast before, we talked about creating a bank, like the one that we know, what the cost is to start that bank. Um, The fact that we have to hire people, how much money we have to put in, all that was gone over in the last podcast. This podcast, he's talking about engineering and how to set up that bank. How do we set up our life insurance policy to utilize it for banking? It's like engineering a vehicle is what he's talking about in this chapter. We can both buy identical vehicles made on the same day, identical vehicles. If everything were to remain the same and we were the only difference, would both of those vehicles perform identical to each other? No, no, and heck no. Because the way you drive your vehicle and the way I drive my vehicle is different. The way we take care of our vehicles is different. Maybe how we house our vehicles is different. Maybe who we take along is different, right? If I don't ever take anybody with me because I don't have children, the inside of my vehicle might be better than the inside of your vehicle who has McDonald's fries on the ground and kids' crayons and markers all over, right? Because not everybody's vehicles are the same. If, if that was the case and everything remained the same and it didn't affect the vehicle, how it was taken care of, well, we could just go online and buy any old used vehicle we wanted. But instead, we have to go look at it. We have to drive it. We have to check the oil before we buy it to make sure that these people actually took care of it. It's exactly the same thing. We have a policy and it must be engineered. But first, it has to be engineered by the life insurance company itself. The actuaries have to engineer that policy so that it survives good and bad times. Knowing that, A, we have to make sure all of our insureds are healthy and of a good pool, right? Not like Obamacare or whatever it's called. Everybody calls it Obamacare, where, oh, we just got all a bunch of unhealthy people put into the pool, so now the rates went up. The insurance company wants to make sure that they can keep their rates the same and that the majority of the people are going to be healthy. So do you have to go through a health exam? Yes, you do. Is it a pain in the butt? Yes, it is. But I would rather have my company make sure that actuarially we know when people are likely to pass away. We know how long we have to invest the premium dollars so that we can then pay the death benefit. Because guess what? The death benefit is guaranteed by contract. Guaranteed by contract. So they need to know actuarially if everybody's healthy. They need to know how to invest the money. And because all of this is guaranteed and we have a guaranteed side to our policy, well, they need to make sure they can invest the money into good conservative investments. That is where the majority of their money goes is conservative investments so that they know they have the money to pay us when we pass away. Because there's one other thing that's guaranteed and it is you're going to die. 
And if you have a whole life insurance policy and you've paid the premiums every year and you've done what you're supposed to do for that engineered policy and used it correctly for it to be there for you, you're going to have, they're going to have to pay a policy premium or they're going to have to pay a death benefit because you're dead, right? We all are going to die. It's a matter of when and when we do, the death benefit is there and guaranteed to be paid. We need to make sure that we have these actuaries that are conservative. And as an owner of the policy, there comes with it cash value. And that cash value you get to access because you're the owner. You are the number one person. You own it. You control it. You get to decide if you're going to use the money. You have first dibs to that money. If you have first dibs to that money, you get to use it for whatever you want to use it for. And then we get to pay it back. When they are engineering a policy, Nelson says, and I'm going to read this out of the book because I think this is super important. There are variations in interest earnings, death claims, and expenses of operation, and these factors affect the dividend scale declared in the coming year. Because what is a dividend? When they engineer these policies, they're engineering it so that it's efficient. And, oh, we might project that more people were going to pass away than did. So now we can, we're going to pay out a dividend because we had excess premium paid. Okay? You can safely say that the real result will never exactly match the illustration provided at the beginning of the life of the policy. Well, and it is never going to match. It is just, it's never going to match. After day two, it's never going to match. Because once the dividend is paid, it's not, they, they can only project what the dividend's going to be. They don't know exactly. So once that dividend is paid, it then becomes guaranteed. Once a dividend is declared, its value is guaranteed from that point on. What that means is there's two sides to the policy. There's a guaranteed side and there's a non-guaranteed side. Non-guaranteed side is reflective of a projected dividend. Once a dividend is paid, it is declared and it now goes over to the guaranteed side. So neither one of your policies, when you come and see me and we're running illustrations, that is never going to look like that ever again. If you want to see what your policy looks like every single year, you can order an enforced illustration. You can see that. Absolutely. All day long. Order an enforced illustration. I don't care what company you're with. They all have enforced illustrations. The guaranteed side on the enforced illustration two or three years later is not going to be what was projected two or three years prior. Because dividends have been paid and now they are assumed and they go over to the guaranteed side. This is fantastic because they can't take them back. This is absolutely fantastic. So when you buy the policy, you are literally buying it at absolute worst case scenario. Absolute, meaning the guaranteed side shows if a dividend is never paid ever from today on. Today, the company never pays a dividend for the next 100 years. That's what we're assuming on the guaranteed side. Worst case scenario. He says, it can never lose value in the future as can the value of securities. So 
we're putting money in to investments and that can we can lose money there. Yet we have guarantees in the policy and we question those. That that I know I've talked about that before and it obviously drives me a little bit crazy. But people will say, well, well, this is as good as the policy is. Yet I'm showing you a guarantee and you just have money in the market and there's no guarantees. You're planting the crop and there's no guarantees. You're buying hail insurance and crop insurance and there's no guarantees. You're breeding cows and there's no guarantees. Yet you are questioning me and I have guarantees? I mean, let's think about that. And I think this was kind of funny because he says, why do we call stocks securities when it is possible to lose their value? Maybe it's like social security, which has no market value at all. (laughs) It's kind of like when we called the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve, because we wouldn't pass before 1931. Nobody would be okay with a central banking system. And these guys have an ultimate control. So we called it the Federal Reserve, even though it's not federally owned, just to make people think that the feds own it and that would be safer. So is that why we call stock securities and social security? Because it's going to be there when in fact it's not. Again, it's a play on words, right? Things to make us feel comfortable and safe. So let's go back to them paying the dividend. When they are over-projecting, they have extra money. That extra money or the profit comes to us in the form of a dividend, but not all the profit. They are going to keep a little bit of the profit back and they are going to put it into a contingency fund. Why a contingency fund? Why wouldn't they give us all the profit? Because they're going to prepare for bad times. Remember, dividend-paying whole-life companies have been around 130-plus years. And so they have to prepare for bad times. Bad times happen, kind of like the crap we're going through now. Bad times happen. We need to be prepared to either pay out more claims, to pay, continue to pay dividends. Hopefully, they're not paying dividends from reserves, but... You know, some companies have been. Um, The dividend, he says, most people have the impression that this is a taxable event. It is not. And it is not a taxable event because it is a return of premium. That is how the tax code looks at life insurance. This isn't something special for life insurance. It's just how it's always looked at life insurance. Keep in mind, life insurance has been around longer than the Federal Reserve, longer than our tax history. It is a return of premium because actuarially, what? The policy was designed and the company is conservative and they are overestimating. They are looking at worst case scenario. Now, what can we do with the dividend? Well, if we're at the bank, who gets the profits of the bank? If we have a CD, if we have a savings account, who gets the profits of the bank? Well, the shareholders, the stockholders. Well, now we are owners of the company. So we get that. And we have a choice of what we want to do with it. We can use it to buy additional paid up insurance, which is PUAs, okay? What does that do? Well, that buys death benefit 
in addition to increasing cash value. So not only does it go into cash value, but it's also by an additional paid up life insurance, increasing our death benefit. So our death benefit continues to grow even further. The other thing you can do with it is you can reduce premium. You can say, hey, I want the dividend to go towards the premium. Or if it's a high enough dividend, because you're 10 or you're 20, 30 years into your policy, maybe you have enough dividend there that can pay the premium. You could actually pay the premium. Now, I don't know why you would want to do that. I think that's absolutely silly. But in some circumstances, if you don't have the income to pay it, it can be used that way. Definitely not recommended unless you are in a circumstance where you can't pay for it. And why? Because you are decreasing the cash value growth. You're decreasing dividends. Dividends are figured off of a formula and how much cash value you have as part of that formula, how much death benefit you have as part of that formula. If we're not rolling it back into the policy, we're not creating as much wealth. We're not creating the compound interest that we could have earned along with the higher dividends. So absolutely don't recommend it, but it's an option. Then he goes on to talk about the fact that our need for finance is greater than our need for life insurance protection. And this is an interesting topic because a lot of most people are just sold life insurance. How much life insurance do you need to cover your debt? Now, we all know if you've listened to my podcast before that I think that is an absolute crock. I, if you only have enough life insurance to cover your debt, that's absolutely silly. Because we should have enough life insurance to help make sure that our family can survive without our income. And that is human life value. The life insurance companies come in and say, what is your human life value? How much income do you earn? Take that times a factor, depending on your age, and the insurance companies say, this is what the factor is. This is how much you're worth. So for example, if you are under 40 years old, the life insurance company says you are worth 30 times your gross income. Great. If my human life value is $2 million, that is how much insurance I can get or should have. So life insurance, a life insurance agent will come in and say, well, Johnny, you should have $2 million of life insurance. If you die, you need to take care of your family, right? You guys will hear me talk about that when I put my life insurance hat on. However, that proves that our need for finance is greater than our need for death benefit. Because if I am worth $2 million dead and I am only, you know, 25 years old, holy cow, like that's huge. My need for finance is obviously going to be huge because chances are you're not going to save that $2 million. That $2 million is going to go through your hand buying things the rest of your life. So that I, I need, my need for finance is greater. Nelson says, if you would solve for the need for finance through dividend paying life insurance, you would automatically have more life insurance and recover all the interest you are now paying to somebody else. Um, yes, it is rare for me to issue a policy and they have less life insurance than they had when they came in. In fact, 
then we, we always make sure they have equally as much. But if you come to me and say, oh, Mary Jo, I have $250,000 of life insurance. I can guarantee you, you are not leaving here with $250,000 of life insurance. Depending on your age, you're going to leave with anywhere between a million to maybe 300,000. And that is for old people, like older people. Okay. We're talking like 65 and above older. That's not even, that's not even old. That's not old because I'm getting older. Um, but if you have, if you're young and you come to me and say, oh, Mary Jo, you know, I only need 250 because that's my debt. I don't need that million and a half you want that you have there. Well, I don't really care if you need it or not. That's what you get because that's how much money we're putting into premium. That's just how it is. The death benefit is going to come along with it. But we are solving for our need for finance today. Because we have the choice. We can either go to the bank and finance something or we can finance it through our policy or we can use cash. And we already know that there is a value to using cash and you're going to finance it with cash. Even if you use cash, there's still a cost to that. Okay. And this is, this is awesome because we have to remember there is only one pool of money in the world. There's only one pool of money and we can either go to the bank and get that money or we can utilize our cash value of our life insurance policy. And so when the traditional agent comes, and I hear this a lot, oh man, I am, I am cat, I am insurance poor. Okay. So, and Nelson talk, is talking about this in this chapter. You're insurance poor. So you're going to spend and his example is you're going to spend $50 a month on premiums and say that you're insurance poor, but then you're going to go buy a car and you're going to borrow money from the lender and you're going to pay $260 a month for that. Well, guess what? That lender might actually be getting money from the life insurance company because the life insurance company is in, is in the business of lending out money. So if that particular finance company is getting money from the life insurance company, guess what happens? You're giving them 260 and you're not complaining about paying your car payment, but you're complaining about paying a $50 premium and being insurance poor. So Nelson is saying, if the why use the third party finance company who also went to the life insurance company to get money? Why not you just create why not you just take that $310 a month that you're paying out, put it into life insurance, have the 260 go directly to cash value, and then guess what? In four years, you have enough money to borrow against to buy your own car and finance it through your own policy, and you don't have to use the middleman who's going to charge you a higher interest rate and keep the interest. Instead, you can keep that interest because you can just be honest and pay yourself back the same interest rate that the insurance or that the finance company was charging you. Whoa. I know I said that fast. So either rewind or I can slow it down. The insurance company will lend money to financial institutions who then lend the money to you. So you have a choice. You can give the middleman extra interest or you can just create your own banking system inside of the life insurance policy, borrow against the cash value, 
pay the company back yourself and control that loan. What is the catch? Patience. That is the catch. You must be patient to capitalize that policy. You have to build up a savings account. You might want to pay premium for four or five years before you have the cash value that you need to finance that vehicle through your own policy. It's just patience, which most of us don't have, but it's patience. And then pay back the interest rate equivalent to the interest rate that you're giving to the finance company. Now, when he wrote this book, keep in mind, interest rate wasn't 2%. But if you're willing to pay seven on every loan, why not? If the insurance company is charging you four and a half, great, pay back seven. What happens with the extra interest? Goes back into the policy as premium and pay and creates more cash value. So what? That you can lend it to other people. That was very interesting when he said that in the book. You can lend it to others because now you've created a bank and you are in the banking system. You're banking. You're lending money to others because remember what the definition of banking was? Let me go back there and read it again. Any other associated form of general dealing in money or credit. The money inside your cash value does not just need to be used for you. It can be used for many other things and you can lend it to other people. Now, remember when you borrow money and he, he says this several times in this chapter, when you borrow money, you must pay it back. If you do not remember why you need to pay it back, you need to remember, you need to go back to Nelson's chapter that talks about the grocery store and stealing the peas. Are you stealing the peas from yourself, not paying your money back? Do you remember the story that we talked about in the last podcast, in the last chapter, that the First International Bank of Midland, Texas, that went under because they decided they weren't going to pay back their money? And if you are not going to pay it back, at least pay the interest back and pay the premium. If you're not going to do those things and you do not understand why you need to do those things, you are not teachable and you should not be using this concept. I always think this is funny when I see people say that this concept is for lazy people. Oh my God, on the contrary. This concept is for people that, that can actually manage their money and pay attention to it. Most of my early clients were not required to read the book. So for three years or four years, I have clients that were not required to read the book to meet with me. And guess what? A lot of those clients fall into the not teachable. They're not teachable. They're not paying their loans back. They're not paying interest back. Contrary to everything that I teach and tell them, they are not paying it back. If you're not going to pay your interest and your premium, don't do this because apparently you feel that there is more value in the bank and the credit card company and the other lenders than there is in your own money. We have got to put a value on ourselves and our money just as we put a value on somebody else's money. And this is another reason why you can go to another agent. You can get a life insurance policy 
but are you going to get the concept taught to you? Are they going to understand why we're using it and how to use it? Not everybody can A, engineer a policy correctly because a lot of times they can't even run their own illustrations, right? Which is absolutely ridiculous to me. When somebody says, oh, their home office had to run their illustration. Well, if you had to have home office run an illustration, you probably shouldn't be selling life insurance. You don't know how to use the illustration software yourself and understand it, probably shouldn't be selling life insurance. Now, yes, you can have somebody in your and they can have somebody that's running it for them because they don't have time. But if they don't understand how to structure it and they have to go to home office and say, hey, there's there's this book that I got from a client and we need to illustrate this software. We need to illustrate our policy the same way. Really? Like I have agents contact me all the time. How are you doing that? Well, if you don't know how to do it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it or you should understand the concept. You must be teachable. That is why I have you read the book. If you're not going to read the book, you can't talk to me. If you've not read the book, you can't talk to me at all, at all. Like you're not getting through to me. If you read the book, that's when we can set up an appointment because you're teachable. You want to learn the concept. If you're setting up an appointment with me because you want to just see how I structure it and you want to compare death benefit, don't schedule the appointment because I'm not here to quote you life insurance. I'm here to teach you a concept. And if you want to be teachable, bring it on all day. We are going to be the best of friends. It's about being teachable, not selling a policy. Because I see so many of them that are falling apart because somebody is using cash value to pay premium. Oh, the policy is paying for itself. How can it pay for itself? It can't pay for itself. It's either using dividends to pay for it or it's borrowing cash value to pay for it. And then guess what? You don't have enough cash value to keep the policy going forever. Things don't just take care of themselves. They're not free. And then he ends his chapter with saying, this is a system of policies. A system of policies. You're not going to do this with one policy. It is going to take the average person at least 20 to 25 years to build a banking system through life insurance to accommodate all his needs for finance. 20 to 25 years to build a system through life insurance to accommodate all of his needs for finance. If you think this is going to happen in three to five years, I am sorry to tell you, but you are dreaming and it is not going to happen. And again, what is our biggest issue? Patience. We need to have patience to build this system of policies. We might start really small and we might go bigger, but it is an absolute system of policies. Then those policies can be passed to future generations as long as they can be taught how the system works. Because if we pass it to the next generation and we don't teach them how the system works, guess what? We just stole the piece. We spent all this time building it and we didn't spend any time saving it. Huge, huge, huge. That is the chapter on creating your own system through dividend paying whole life insurance. I hope that that helped you guys understand that chapter a little bit better. If you have not read Nelson's book again, go to farmingwithoutthebank.com, grab that book. You can just click on the store. You can grab my book. You can grab his book. This book is so super important. Everything you need to know is in there. Everything that I teach is from there. But if we don't know why we're doing it, all we did was buy life insurance. 
I have had some amazing conversations with people that really truly want to pass on the farm. And it is not, it is people in my age group in that 40s to 50 age group who truly are looking at succession planning. They want to pass it on differently. And the whole family is meeting with me. And it is so awesome because they're going to get this taught to them. The Rockefellers do not do this and control the world because they are not teaching the next generation. It's exactly what they're doing is teaching the next generation. With that, I am going to leave you. I hope that you guys liked this. If you have anything else that you want to hear about, please email me. Let me know. Mary jo at withoutthebank.com. If you've not gotten the book, go to Farming Without the Bank and you can get the book there. Otherwise, you have an absolutely fantastic week and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Farming Without the Bank podcast. We hope today's episode has inspired you to take control of your finances in new ways. Don't forget to check out our website, farmingwithoutthebank.com and engage with us on our Facebook page, Farming Without the Bank. Join us next week as we smash more financial myths and empower you to accomplish your financial goals.